The Second Generation Podcast is a space to discuss issues and experiences unique to second generation millennials living in North America. I want to tell untold stories that are often not documented, and through this, insert the perspectives of this unique demographic into the mainstream narratives about life, work, family, politics, and everything else in between. Hi everyone, welcome to the Second Generation Podcast. This is your host, Sahar Shafiq, and today's episode is about spirituality. So I'm going to go through some of my own experiences, and then after that, I'll share an interview that I did with a friend of mine who considers himself to be a Sufi, which is a, a, a branch of Islam. And yeah, I hope you enjoy it. So for the first few years of life that I can remember, and this would be back in the 1990s in Scarborough, which I've talked about in earlier episodes, every weekend morning I would wake up and in the family room we would be playing, or my dad would be playing, a show called The Three Stooges, which I don't know if all of you have seen or not before, but uh, it's in color. Uh, sorry, it's, it's not in color, it's in black and white. Um, and I remember being confused why the TV was being played in black and white and my dad explaining that they didn't used to have color on TV. Um, anyways, he loved this show and he loved slapstick comedy. So every single weekend, this would be what was happening in our home. Um, at least that's what I remember. And it was just, it was part of my weekend as a four or five or six year old. I can't even remember how old I would have been. Uh, but kindergarten, grade one, grade two type of age. Uh, so yeah, this would be every single weekend. And then one day, my parents decided to enroll me in Sunday school. So like religious school. And instead of watching the Three Stooges on Saturdays, now we would, every Saturday or Sunday, we would drive to the mosque in Scarborough. Uh, and we would go, or I would go, uh, and I think my brother started going when he was a bit older as well, to classes at the mosque and learn about religion and Islam and how to pray. I learned a lot from these classes and I actually still vividly remember the classroom and the chalkboard and some of the handouts and activities that we used to do. And we learned about the history of Islam, how Islamic civilization spread. We memorized some surahs and we learned how to pray. So this, you know, started from a very early age. Um, like I said, I was five or six years old. And I don't know if many people know this actually, but I lived in the States for two years when I was ages eight to 10. So when we, um, oh, and side note, I lived in Pennsylvania in a town in between a valley. So it was like not a lot of diversity at all, but that could be like a whole other podcast episode on its own. Anyways, we moved to Pennsylvania and we continued Sunday school, although now I think it was on Fridays or something. We're just going to call it Sunday school. Um, that time, I, I have to admit, I have limited memories of that, except that we also learned to memorize surahs. Um, there used to be pizza, but there was a rule of like only one slice, which my brother and I did not find to be fair. Um, and for some reason, I <laughs> the strongest memory I have of being in Sunday school um, in Pennsylvania was once winning a Dell computer from the back of a Powerade wrapper, like those vending machines, and they would have those promotions and you would open the wrapper and it would say like first prize or whatever. Um, so I won this computer, but my dad didn't believe that it was real because he assumed that this was just some sort of marketing ploy and I wouldn't actually win anything and I never got my prize. Um, that experience is not at all related to the topic of this podcast episode. So we're gonna get back on track, but all of that is to say that I, I honestly don't really remember very much from the, the, the classes that we used to go to during that time. Anyway, so we moved back to Canada when I was about 10 years old. Um, this time I was living in Thornhill for a couple of years before we moved to Rishon Hill and we started going to another Islamic school and this one was on Fridays and it was actually classes out of Bond Secondary School. So anyone who's 
familiar with Richmond Hill Vaughn, you you know this is like a really uh, one of the main high schools in the area. And so this one I remember a bit more about. Maybe it's because I was older, but um, I remember learning about being a generally good person and the importance of not lying and not cheating and always giving others the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and I really liked those lessons and I met some great people as well. Uh, but I also remember being scared of not memorizing my surahs because if you didn't memorize them and repeat them uh, properly because you didn't do your homework, then it would just be humiliating. And I, I just like the teachers. For some reason, I remember being embarrassed uh, and having a lot of like pressure and anxiety about getting the surahs right, even though I didn't always know exactly what they meant. So. Growing up, I went to these schools, um, but over the years, as we got older, uh, my brother and I stopped going to Sunday school, or Friday school, or Saturday school, whatever you want to call it. And so, as I got older, I would sometimes go um, to Juma prayer when I had a free uh, afternoon on Fridays. And for those who don't know, the Friday afternoon prayers are... Um, really important prayers for Muslims uh, it's like a special prayer and so when you when you can and you're able to you're encouraged to go every Friday to pray with the community and, and participate in Jabba prayers um, so I would go to that um, and I would go to one of the mosques near my house in Richmond Hill and over the years I realized that the sermon at that particular mosque uh, was the tone was always very like fearful and I, I just felt like rep reprimanded as a young person I found like maybe it was a particular person that was running the programming and delivering the khutbahs which are the sermons but I couldn't relate to any of the content um, so yeah that was that and as I entered into my early 20s I discovered this amazing place called the Noor Center and the Noor Center, um, it's called the Noor Cultural Center actually, uh, is right off the DVP in Winford. And I think it opened in the early 2000s, I want to say. And uh, my mom had heard about this new space and how it promoted openness and gender equality. And so she took us there. And during my 20s, I, I found like a very relatable environment there as a young woman and I started going there a lot more regularly so this would have been my university years like both um, yeah early 20s university years and one thing that I absolutely loved was that for the very first time in my life I found the khutbah to be very relatable to my life um, and I also felt a very strong sense of community after every Jumma prayer, the Noor Center would organize a community potluck and it was right after the prayer, people would bring their dishes to share and there would be social time with tables and chairs and you would just meet all these amazing people who are active in the community. And I would look forward to the, um, obviously the, the prayer as well, but also this part of the experience every time I went because every time you would go, you would run into the same faces and catch up with people and it really became a community and even now like if I go and I don't have the chance to go, to go very often because I live and work downtown um, I still run into the same people that I used to know all those years ago and they're still there and it feels so good to just have like the sense of community there um, and there was one person in particular and this is kind of how I ended up uh, learning about Sufism and like different ways of practicing Islam. Um, there's one person in particular who often gave the khutbah during the years that I went to the Noor Center actively and his name is Timothy Giannotti. Timothy is a convert to Islam and he's also a scholar particularly in the area of Sufism and I loved how relatable Timothy's khutbahs were to the audience. Uh, I remember being so surprised to hear a mention of, can of indigenous people in his khutbahs and he would apply Islamic principles of equality and um, you know just being being good people and being responsible as a community for the injustices that were happening around the world and in Canada and it really captured my attention and gave me a new way to look at the world around me. 
He would always uh, talk openly also about gender inequality and marginalized populations. And he, he would, like I said, relate that to religion, which for the first time, at least in a contemporary context, I personally had not experienced until then. Um, and side note, like we, I, I was so inspired by Timothy and so humbled by the way that he um, spoke about some of these topics that when, we, uh, when I married my husband about two years ago, we actually had him um, do our nikah marriage ceremony. Um, so yeah, very important person. Um, so in the meantime, during these years, so again, early 20s, I started learning more about Sufi poetry and this concept of um, related to Islam that how you treat others and what's inside of your heart is can be more important sometimes than the material things and performing rituals which sometimes can feel mindless or you don't understand the meaning, you're really just performing the acts without thinking about it. And so seeing religious people who fulfill all these mandatory rituals um, but also are just like terrible people made Sufism really relatable to me. And it was around the same time that I reconnected with some of the Sufi materials that were in Urdu and Punjabi, such as Qawalis and um, remakes of old classical songs that uh, Coke Studio had remade. And this goes a bit back to the language episode from, I think it's episode two, but I was able to really examine the depths of these musical pieces and understand them in the language that they were being presented. And it really encouraged me to look at religion and spirituality in a completely new way than what I had learned at uh, the Scarborough Sunday School or the Vaughn uh, Friday School when I was younger. And so I became more interested in Sufism, um, still not like practicing very, very heavily, but um, I had the opportunity uh, over the years to kind of, you know, mix with some of these ideas and think about my own life and how I live it and the values that I hold. And so fast forward to now, so 20, 2018, 2019, um, I had the opportunity to go to uh, an event called Nuit Blanche, which if you're if you're from Toronto, you know what that is. It's the all-night arts festival that happens in Toronto uh, every October. And the Aga Khan Museum did a special, uh, they, they had exhibits for the past two years. And one of the things that they had offered during Nuit Blanche was an invitation to the public to participate in a Sufi meditation session which involves people whirling, Sufis, um, participating in this whirling type of meditation, which is a form of prayer, actually, uh, and it involves spinning in circles and meditating at the same time. And if you've ever been to Turkey or you've you know, read up on, on, on Turkey, you'll, you might have seen the images of these whirling dervishes People have brought me home like magnets of a whirling dervish in the past. I think it's like a, it's also a touristy type of thing for, for them as well. Um, so I had come across across this in that context and kind of read about it in uh, Sufi poetry, particularly Rumi, but I had never watched it in person. Um, and so it was really fascinating to to see like these people get so entranced by what they're doing and it's also a form of prayer for them. And around the time that this was happening, I actually discovered that my neighbor who lives upstairs um, from our apartment was actually one of those people who was participating in the in the whirling. He's a they're called whirling dervishes. And so we had, like, my, my husband and I had become friends with this um, guy, his name is Hamid, and his roommate, and we had hung out, like, several times, and then I found out that he is going to be doing this, and that he ascribes to Sufism, and he's very much into this stuff. And so I had never met someone who was that um, into, I guess, Sufism and, and had participated as a, like, whirling dervish. And so, yeah, uh, I reached out to him and we, we sat down a few days ago and we had a conversation about his spiritual journey. So he um, was born in Afghanistan and he grew up in 
under Taliban rule uh, as a child and he he lived there until age 18 and at that point he moved to Europe for school and that was kind of his first experience in the West and now he's been living in Canada for many many years now um, and so he we had a conversation about what it was like growing up under the Taliban and what that what that did to him in terms of his perception of his religion and how he went on on a journey basically to where he's at right now um so yeah it was a great conversation and i will play it for you guys right now Okay, so hi Hamid, how are you doing? Hi Sarah, doing very well. <laughs> cool, do you Thank want to you. introduce yourself? Um, sure, well, my name is Hamid, um, your former neighbor. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yes, uh, and uh, I live in Toronto, uh, not from Toronto, originally born uh, and raised in Afghanistan. Um, I work in the financial industry uh, and uh, I would like to call myself a Sufi. Interesting. So, how would you define? Why, why don't you first explain what Sufism is for those of us that don't know? Of course. Um, well, there are too many uh, different ways of looking at it, different interpretation. Uh, to me, uh, Sufism is uh, a spiritual path. Uh, it's the mystical side of Islam, something that has been totally forgotten uh, for, I would say, centuries actually now. Uh, it was a lot more alive back in 12th, 13th, 14th century. Uh, now most people know Sufism through uh, Rumi. Uh, but uh, basically it's the mystical dimension of Islam. Religion. And how, how do you practice Sufism? Like how, what does religion and spirituality and practice look like for you? Hmm. Um, Sufism is more about uh, a perspective of life. Um, it's um, it's a shift that happens, uh, and uh, for me, it was more of a curiosity. Uh, personally, I'll, I'll share my personal experience. Um, I've always felt this void inside me, um, which I think is is common to a lot of people. Uh, for the long longest time, I tried to fill it with. Uh, exterior things, uh, relationships or material stuff. Uh, but I realized very quickly that I could never, I could not do that. And working in the industry that I do, which is uh, revolves around a lot of material, um, I saw a lot of people that had achieved a lot of material uh, things, but I could see the void uh, that that they have in them as well. So it's been a journey for me personally trying to find something that could fill that void. And that void is inside. Um, I realized it could only be filled by going within. Uh, and uh, going within uh, requires a path uh, to make it easier uh, or a guide. And that's what Sufism is about. Sufism is a path of uh, a certain lifestyle, a way of living. Uh, Sufi lives a certain way behaves a certain way um, what what are those ways mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sufi tries like to mysticism <laughs> and philosophy I'm like okay <laughs> so how like how do you go within and and how like how do you practice that mm -hmm. by um, spending time with yourself uh, that's where it starts by knowing yourself there's a hadith um, that uh, of Prophet Muhammad uh, that says you will only know your God, your Creator, if you know yourself. So the journey of knowing the Creator and the creation and the purpose of the creation starts with oneself. Once you know yourself, uh, you know uh, or, or at least you try to find out why do you have certain behaviors? Why do you think a certain way? Why do you say certain things? Why do you behave a certain way? Why do you react a certain way? Um, that's exploring oneself. That's exploring 
spending time with yourself why do i react this way um while if i really had thought i wouldn't react this way so then why did i react this way so is it more like thinking about how you grew up and why you have the beliefs that you do that too that's definitely part of it that's definitely part of it um they say that uh, most humans actually start uh, their patterns of behavior and thoughts uh, it shapes around the age of between six months to three years Mm -hmm. that's how young we're um, shaped right Uh, so then what we do we continue life building upon that building layers upon those patterns that we were taught we were taught for example I was taught you're you're male your your name is Hamid um, you're Muslim you do this you don't do this this is you this identity was given to me when I was very young but as I grew up I realized that I'm a human I am a human who has a purpose uh, to this life and I need to find that this identity that I'm given am I really that right so that's where it all started and that's where the journey of going within uh, started actually it was a journey of trying to find out find a path find something that could help me uh, go within so long very long journey until I came to Sufism uh, recently so I want to go back to the start of that journey you've shared before that you grew up in Afghanistan um, under Taliban rule like you grew up when the Taliban was in power mm-hmm. um, so how how did that experience and you lived there until you were 18 I did. right yes. so how did that experience impact your perception of an experience with religion and spirituality <laughs> and we can be like very casual like the people listening are great are like I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I don't know who's listening. <laughs> I think they're millennials. I think they're people like me. <laughs> Hopefully, they can relate. Hopefully. <laughs> uh, you're right. I um, I was born in uh, late '80s, and um, I was probably age uh, around eight, seven, eight. The Taliban uh, took over. Um, what I experienced during Taliban, six years of Taliban in, in Kabul, in Afghanistan, was uh, a very um, forceful religion. I was told to do this, I was told not to do this, that I should you know, wear certain things and I shouldn't watch movies, I shouldn't do this. Um, did you watch movies anyways? I did. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't work. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> so I have a very rebellious nature I've had since I was, uh, I was young. Uh, if someone told me do this, I would actually not do it. If they said don't do this, even if I didn't want to do it, I would do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So reverse so was... psychology works on you. <laughs> it used to. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, and that's what happened during the Taliban uh, regime. That's the phase I was in. They were telling me do this and not do this. And I had questions. I had a lot of questions and they could not answer. There were not enough answers for it. Um, so the religion that I experienced was very traumatizing. It was shoved down my throat and I had to do it. I did it anyways. Um, I started questioning my religion when I was, um, I was in class one day, um, I was probably 10, 11. One of my religious teachers was teaching us uh, religious stuff <laughs> and uh, he uh, I asked a question. He said uh, actually that uh, no, um, no one goes to paradise except uh, except those who are Muslims. So I asked him, and this is a very basic question I've had for a very long time. I asked him, um, what if someone born in a tiny little village, and let's say some some island, they've never heard of Islam, but he's an amazing Christian, and uh, he um, does everything to be of help to everyone and before he even hears of it he dies and the teacher said he goes does not go to heaven and i said why not <laughs> and he almost beat me oh, no. but <laughs> i had to believe whatever he says yeah. right i left uh, i left afghanistan when i was 17 this was 2005 and, I went and at to, that, sorry, at that point when you were 17, the Taliban had left. The Taliban had left. But it was still yeah. like obviously very Islamic country and the effects of the Taliban, would you say, were still there? Absolutely. All those years later? Yes, absolutely. It still is. 
it still is. Mm-hmm. It's a certain culture, a certain, a certain way of collective thinking. Uh, it does not really belong to a regime. A regime comes and uh, intensifies it, but uh, it's a collective uh, mindset of, of uh, a lot of those countries. Um, so when I when I went to um, UK for school, the very first thing I did, um, <laughs> I I decided that I'm never going to walk into a religious institution ever again. That's how much grudge I had built. So them. when you landed in the UK or when you when you knew that you were leaving, like what was that feeling like? Very exciting. Like uh, what did you do the first few days that you landed there? <laughs> uh, I smoked. Okay. I, I, I drank. Okay. Which <laughs> I had partied. you done that in Afghanistan? Never, no. You had never. I had never done that, no. Oh uh, my god. Yeah. So literally you had never done it and you're like 18 or ni- like 18, 19? 18, 18, 19. And I was like, uh, this is it. My life starts now. I'm never going to walk into a religious institution again. I'm just going to And the party. first few days you started partying. <laughs> I did. No, I'm not making fun of you. I'm yes, just, yes. No, I'm just okay, laughing yeah. at, uh, at my own experience looking back. And then how, how long did that phase last? That lasted a while. Uh, <laughs> throughout the university, I would say. Uh, throughout the university, um, I, I had nothing to do with any religion. Um, but when I was alone at times, even when I was partying at times, I would feel this deep connection to moments, just like moments, and we all have those moments, uh, to, uh, to everyone around me. This, this sense of endless compassion and love towards everyone. Or some mornings, you know, I would be walking alone and I have this moment looking at trees and, and the sun and it just so, feels so beautiful. And it, I know there's something bigger. I know it. But I was denying it. I was avoiding it. But no, I've experienced religion. <laughs> and I was associating everything to religion. Um, in 2010, I went to India for, for a couple of months. And I explored. Um, this this had this, this was not a spiritual trip at all. This was a party trip. And <laughs> so we're still partying in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Uh, uh, I went to um, around this time, actually, this last couple of years of university. I started becoming curious. I started reading into other religions and learning about different religions and different paths. Uh, something was pulling me. When I went to India uh, for the first time, I met a um, Buddhist monk. His presence, this was in the Himalayas, in the, in the um, north, north parts of India, but just, just his presence, when I was in his presence, he didn't have to say anything, he didn't have to tell me anything, he didn't have to convince me about anything. Just being in his presence was absolutely beautiful, was very joyful, and I would not think of anything, and my mind would, did not even exist, I, was, I, I just was. What was it about his presence that was so powerful? Um, I, I feel, and since then I've met a few people uh, like this. I and I have too, mm. yeah. I've always wondered like what, because you can't always put your finger on it. Right, Like yeah. what do you think that it is? It's, uh, it's it their so presence. It's, um, it's, um, it's a certain awareness that they have. When they're with you, they're with you. They're nowhere else. They're just with you. The best thing we can give to anyone best gift is our presence when you're with them for 10 15 20 minutes grabbing a coffee just be there to not think and be somewhere else while physically you're somewhere else right and i think it was that awareness and that presence that he had that uh, made me really curious i started going to him a few times for the week that i was in that little village i started picking up books i started i started getting pulled towards uh, Buddhism and I was absolutely loving it it's beautiful path I uh, went to Mauritius after spent a year in Mauritius and that's all I did I just practiced and it was beautiful Um, there was a sense uh, in me that there's something more that I need to explore it wasn't home enough it wasn't it wasn't enough Um, until life and I always think that it was my plans when I look back that I came here and I found this path or that path. But I realize it's life is taking me through experiences. 
it's really none of them needs me. Life through taking me through an experience of very strict religious environment, which served me really well later. I never realized the good side of it. I always looked at the bad side of it, but I realized everything has a purpose. I was put in that, and then I was brought to certain experiences in life, and then you know, to another experience, and then to to this path. Uh, so. One of the reasons I got really uh, interested in Buddhism and these spiritual paths is because it's very inclusive. Sufism, for example, what Sufis, one, one thing that Sufis always repeat is um, a phrase that says La ilaha illallah, which means there is no God but God. And this should not be misunderstood as a monotheistic uh, spiritualism like there's no God but our God. This has a lot in common with Hindu, uh, the notion of Brahman. Everything is an expression of God. Everything that is, is part of God. So tell me more about that because I've sort of tried to explain to people what Sufism is and I kind of start going down that path, but I never know how to articulate it. Like how do you explain this notion that because the other thing about Sufism is because of this belief Sufis don't really care that much about material um, objects and like ritual activities that are commonly associated with what people usually think of when they think of Islam so this notion of God being everywhere and in everything how like can you say more about that with even specific examples like one thing I'm thinking of is um, there's this Qawali uh, by Abda Verveen, um and translated it says it's like a famous few lines and it says um, destroy the mosques, destroy the temples, destroy the churches but don't ever break someone's heart because that's where God lives yes. right? Yes. So like yeah can you speak more about that concept and how that plays into like your everyday way of I don't know, operating in this world. Of course, of course. So that's that's a very beautiful uh, poem, uh, by the way. Um, there, there's a verse in, uh, in Quran that says that um, God in Islam says that um, the mountains could not contain me, the oceans could not contain me, but the heart of a pure human can contain me. Uh, so that's what Abdul Perwin is uh, referring mm -hmm. to. You can break anything. Uh, God is not in the mosque. He's not in the church. Uh, that's a place we come together to worship the God that we carry in our hearts. Um, one of the things that I realized later that I learned about Sufism and Islam more so uh, is the concept of inclusiveness. Uh, as I learned uh, and read more into different religions, I realized that all religions have that that wall that my teacher had built for me, which is only we go, or only we are right, only we. and I don't like that. I do not like that <laughs> at all. Uh, it's a certain identity that we have built around us, and then we feel comfortable in it, and then we want more people to join it. And if they don't, then we tell them, okay, you're not, you're not part of this. Uh, it's a it's a human thing. It's an ego thing. It's not religions. Religions don't say that. One of uh, uh, one of the most misunderstood thing that the organized religion teach today is that God's love is conditional. That you have to do this. You have to do a certain ritual in order to for God to love you. If God's love was conditional, we would not. No one would exist for a second. It's an unconditional love. Uh, Rumi says that in order to find love, and when Rumi says love, he refers to, to the beloved, which Sufis um, refer to their God. It's a, it's a path of love. You fall in love with your Creator. You don't get up and do a certain ritual because you have to. I have a personality. I would never do that. <laughs> Someone tells me, get up, do a certain ritual, just do it. So do you pray? Like, do you pray in the way that we commonly associate with Muslims, like five times a day? Because you are very, I know, because I know you, you're a very spiritual person and you, yeah, like religion is very important to you, but I genuinely don't know. Like, do you, do you pray? <laughs> uh, yes, I do pray. Uh, and I pray, I started praying not too long ago, actually, uh, recently. Uh, the prayer that I do now 
is so different than what I used to do. How, how was it before and what is it now? I used to have to pray uh, because my parents told me, because people told me. Uh, and uh, because if I didn't pray, I'd go to hell and I have to pray. So that's, it was a fear-based faith. A fear-based faith is like foam on water. As the water goes down, the foam goes down. As the fear resides, the, the faith goes down. Um, faith based on love is, is, is an experience. It's totally different. What I used to do, the prayer that I used to do was fear-based. Um, I never enjoyed a moment of it. The prayer that I do now, it's, it's, I'm standing in front of my beloved, the one who created me, the one who sustains me, the one who gives me this breath, allows me to wake up this morning, gives me another opportunity to know his creation, to love his creation, to be closer to him. How could I not pray to him? How could I not spend a few minutes just with him? And uh, it's, it's an absolutely beautiful feeling. So that's why I do it. And um, I, I do the five, five prayers. Um, I go to church. Um, you go to church? I do go to church. You, so you <laughs> you have to catch me up here. <laughs> Please explain. Okay. <laughs> uh, I started liking churches. Um, I was curious. Um, I visited a few times. And I started really liking it. I, how could you not? All these people come together in a certain, uh, I don't know, building, space, whatever yeah, you want to call it. We label a church to to worship their creator. Being amongst them is the most beautiful place. Why not? And you it's, consider that a form of prayer? I consider that a form of prayer, yes. Anywhere that a group of people come together for the sake of love, for sake of God, for sake of... Uh, overcoming their ego and growth and maturity that's a place of prayer for me so i want to talk about meditation because um also from knowing you i know that meditation is a big part of your life and has been for a while and you described that you have very spiritual experiences when meditating like when we've had conversations in the past how can you describe how meditation for you is also sometimes a form of prayer or connecting to God? Absolutely, yes. Um, I started meditating after my experience in India. Uh, when was that again? This was in 2010. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then I spent a year in Mauritius. That was the year that uh, I had a very quiet life. I didn't really have much going on. It was just a beautiful island and all I did was meditate. Um, It's an experience that could never be described. Words are so limited. When you try to uh, describe an experience, you can only find certain words, and just narrows down the experience. How do you meditate? How do you physically meditate? Like, mm. Do you do you go to a specific room, sit in a specific way? Like, what does it look like for you? Yes, yes. Uh, it starts there. Uh, it starts there because uh, one has to create this presence, this uh, presence inside them. Uh, and then you carry it during your day. You carry it as you're having conversation with people. Just being present. Meditation is being present, being in the moment, not being in the past or in the future, which I think uh, our youth, actually, the people our generation today. Our youth. <laughs> not our youth. I would say. Uh, We're not people, that old yet. <laughs> people, uh, our generation. Our, yeah. Our, our age, I would say, yes. I, I see, I find a lot of them very distracted. Right. I'm so distracted yeah. all the time. <laughs> that, oh, that's me too. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Uh, so what we're missing is uh, we, we're getting too distracted because there's too much entertainment around us and we get pulled from one thing to another thing. Uh, I used to um, have this app on my iPhone, which I believe iPhone has come up with it, that would show you how much time you have spent on your phone. Uh, two hours a day? That <laughs> how do I spend two hours a day on my phone? Because I keep getting distracted because I'm not thinking, I'm on autopilot, right? Um, what meditation does to me is it, it grounds me. It connects me to my core, to myself, to my present moment. Uh, so when I'm walking, I'm actually walking. 
my mind is not in the past or in the future and I enjoy this lot. Or if I'm, if I'm, let's say, studying, I get so much more out of it because my mind is right there. I'm not thinking in the past or future. Um, so uh, it, it, part of it, it started that way for me as well, to just kind of ground myself to, to uh, have that connection with myself. Um, and then it, it turned more to, uh, over time, as I, as I had some experiences, I realized that I'm not just this, this body walking around. I am a, an eternal soul. This is just a journey of 60, 70 years from going through this experience and maturing and moving on. So then as I started experiencing this, this connection, uh, maybe I could call it soul, to my soul, I realized there's more and that turned into a form of prayer. So a meditation is a prayer. Um, for example, uh, in, in Buddhism, chant certain mantras. In Sufism, you chant certain mantras. They both mean the same thing. Uh, so to, I don't think you could separate worship from meditation. I think it's, uh, they're both the same thing. They're um, experiencing a different dimension, going, going within. So on the same lines of meditation, um, the whirling dervishes. Mm. So I had always seen photos or videos when people go to Turkey <laughs> about these of these whirling dervishes who are literally physically whirling and meditating and it's a very powerful spiritual experience and not very often there's um well that I'm aware of at least is that something that happens in Toronto and there's people who are invited to participate and witness it and as part of Nuit Blanche, um, past two years, the Aga Khan Museum uh, made that a public uh, event, or yeah, pub made it made that experience open to the public to witness and participate in. And that's where I realized that my neighbor who lives upstairs is a whirling dervish. <laughs> I don't even remember how we figured that out. Um, anyways, some of the events. Yeah, or, or we mention it. I don't know. Anyways, um, you are a whirling dervish. <laughs> so for people who don't know and have only ever seen photos, uh, like myself until just a few months ago, can you describe what what that is and how how you experience spirituality and uh, a connection to God through that? So what it is and, and like what happens when you're when you're doing of course doing that form of meditation. Um. So there are different forms of meditation, uh, as, as you mentioned, and whirling is one form of meditation or worship, uh, you could call it. Uh, there's chanting, there's sitting quietly with yourself, there's uh, focusing on your breath, there are different forms. Whirling is, is one form of uh, Sufi meditation, uh, I would say. The idea of whirling uh, is everything in existence, uh, in existence revolves around the center. From smallest little particles, the atoms, they revolve around each other, to planets, to our solar system, galaxies, everything revolves around the center. For Sufi, the idea of Sufism is unity, to experience the oneness of the Creator. When a Sufi or a dervish worlds, they join the rest of the existence in that in the whirling. And a Sufi whirls around their hearts because a Sufi believes the creator is in the heart. Um, so you worship your creator who's in your heart and you evolve around your heart. Um, that, that's the idea, the physical uh, manifestation uh, of it. Um, it's a journey, it's a spiritual journey uh, for a Sufi to transcend the ego, to uh, become one with the rest of the creation, uh, and to grow towards that love and that compassion, and to mature, and then to come back from that spiritual journey, a more mature person, who can contribute good to this world, who can contribute love and compassion 
which is so needed <laughs> today. So needed. Uh, that's that's the uh, ritual uh, of, of whirling. There are certain symbols to it. For example, you notice when uh, when a dervish or a Sufi enters uh, that space of whirling, they take a black coat off. That black coat represents the world, the material the world. The material, yeah. Uh, so they take it off in order to leave the world behind, and they're wearing uh, white clothes, which uh, represents their sh their shroud, uh, uh, mm -hmm. um, and and the hat that represents the tombstone. So they die in that love. A Sufi Sufi's journey is to die before death takes over, to die to this world and to live for the Creator, to align their will with the will of the Creator, to live for the Creator and not for oneself, to become more selfless. And that that uh, spiritual journey of whirling uh, is, is, is that experience. It's an experience of love that you taste the unity, you taste uh, the creation. Uh, and then you come back and you uh, distribute it or you contribute to the world. So, as someone who works, who who is in the same like millennial demographic, so going back to the theme of our podcast, which is second generation millennials, which you're, I guess, not second generation, but a lot of similar experiences, how... Living in Toronto, like you, you work on Bay, not Bay Street, sorry, you work in the financial industry. sector, financial industry, you wear a suit to work. <laughs> I have to. Um, and you, I mean, if you're working in the financial industry, you probably, your phone is blowing up all the time. Like mm -hmm. you're, you're living a very hectic life, like a lot of us are who are living and working downtown Toronto. How do you find a way to, to connect with like this deeper side of you when there's, our culture is is just so fast-paced and demanding and distracting like you said like how do you practically like do you schedule time or do you surround yourself with certain people like how do you find that space within mm. yourself mm. um that's that's a very good question when i first came uh came across sufism which was not too long ago a couple of years ago and i started having this these, these experiences and i was like this is home i found home uh, the first thing I thought about was quitting my job. <laughs> and I love what I do. I absolutely yeah. love my job. I work in the financial industry uh, and I, I help people with money. So it's all about yeah. money. Oh my gosh, it's money. literally like the complete opposite. <laughs> so maybe you're like, I need a little balance. <laughs> so my first, my first thought was to quit my job. And I actually started looking for, uh, I've always wanted to work in a coffee shop. So I thought maybe this is an opportunity. I would You'd be so great in a coffee shop. Oh my God, you would light up people's days. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and I went to my teacher, uh, my Sufi master, and I told him this is what I want. And he looked at me, he said, why are you quitting your job? I said, it's all about money. There, it's, there's so much unethical stuff going on. I, I don't want to yeah. be in this, in this environment. And he looked at me, he said, that's more of a reason for you mm. to be in this industry if you see that there's so much uh, you know unethical stuff going on and you know you you know better this makes you want to be and you should be in this industry even more now because you want to work against that you want to contribute good to it uh, and i thought i had this idea that i'm a sufi and i would be going to some nature and farming <laughs> but a sufi um lives in the society he works, he gets married, he... He or uh, she. Oh, he or she, sorry, yes, <laughs> you're absolutely right. He or she works, lives in the uh, society, uh, and just lives a normal life. But knowing that, you know, my purpose, what my what's my purpose here? What am I doing uh, in, in this world? Am I here to mature my soul? The only thing I'm taking with me is the work that I put into my soul. I'm not taking anything else with me. So with that mindset, you can work in any environment and anywhere and contribute good to it. Um, Sufis are um, very much uh, against this idea of leaving society and going to a cave to meditate for the rest of your life. Uh, it's, it's not that. It's you have to live in the society. Uh, you have to contribute to the society. So um, 
I, I have a total different perspective of what I, uh, how I work now than what I used to a few years ago. Um, and it has become a lot more fulfilling and a lot more satisfying, to be quite honest. I love my job a lot more than I ever did before. Really? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and uh, yeah, I quite enjoy it. I don't see myself uh, moving from the financial industry at all. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, so how I manage it, I think it's a balance. And this is also uh, a big theme in Sufism, balance, finding a balance in your life. Uh, you know, it was hard for me to manage these two extremes, uh, <laughs> but I have found a balance, and the balance is absolutely beautiful. Like, you know, I bring my spirituality to work, uh, not to, to people, but with me uh, to work, and that makes me work even better, a lot more present uh, in, with people that I work with. Uh, I, I have clients, money I manage, and these people have become so much closer to me. And, because uh, of the relationship building piece? The relationship, yeah. it has totally... Like being more present, yeah. Yes, yes. It has totally transformed my uh, relationships, in fact. You know, the people that I have in my life are so much closer now, so much uh, uh, authenticity, you know. It's um, the new thing in leadership. I guess. <laughs> authenticity, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I work in leadership development. Yeah. And everyone's always talking about authentic leaders. So th I like this yeah. is an aspect I never thought of. Um, when yeah, it comes absolutely. to being authentic in the workplace. Yeah. So looking back, um, and we'll close with this, but looking back at the Hamid that grew up um, as a child when the Taliban was uh, in power, to you now, what is the biggest paradigm shift that you've had in the way that you look at religion and this world, like the way you operate in this world? Hmm. Um, it's a journey. It's a lifelong journey, uh, which I'm still continuing. So uh, definitely not not the end of it, the very beginning of it. In fact, um, I have found a sense of purpose. Uh, that, uh, I uh, a certain shift has occurred in my perspective, my mentality, my thinking, uh, the way of looking at things. Um, uh, we, we in religion we call we call it faith, uh, right? That faith has increased knowing that I am not the one in control. <laughs> uh, I am not the one in control, you know, there's a bigger power uh, that controls and there is plan for me. If something is taken from my life, I lose something. That's exactly what was meant for me. <laughs> like when the flood happened. <laughs> so I have to share this story. I have to, please. The way that we met is, so Hamid and his roommate lived above our apartment and one day we get a phone call from the building and they're like, your apartment flooded. And we're like, shit, our apartment flooded. <laughs> and we come home and the cat is like all stressed out and we're like, oh my God, our rug is dirty, blah, blah, blah. And then we realize that the reason the flood happened is because the people above us flooded their apartment, which leaked into ours. Um, and somehow um, within all of that, we, we all became friends with each other. <laughs> but I remember the first day we met you and you were like not stressed whatsoever. I think you had lost a laptop, all your notes from some exam. And you were just like, yeah, what's meant to happen will happen. <laughs> I'm like, okay, buddy. <laughs> there is a reason behind it. We met. Yeah. That's it's true. If the flood That's very happen, true. Yeah, the flood yeah. is dried up. It's all gone. Yeah. We both moved out and of that place. And now we have place. a podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll just end with that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs>